Welcome to a special edition of the Truth of the Matter is podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan, and I'm here with our special guest. But before we introduce and welcome her appropriately, let's begin by recognizing and appreciating all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. Now, if this is your first time listening, we want you to know this, that the Truth of the Matter is podcast is all about providing an honest, contextual, historized, philosophical, and psychological view of the Bible through the use of hermeneutics while sharing some personal experiences from myself and Daniel. We believe in, in equipping and practical ways of applying God's word to everyday life. Today, we will praise God for another new testimony we will hear. We hope that after hearing this woman of God, that you will be encouraged and uplifted. We hope that you will see how an encounter with Jesus will guarantee that your life will never be the same. So let's invite our guests in. Welcome, Yvette. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. How was your day? How's, how was your day? How's it go? It's it's good. It's uh it's finals week here on campus, and you know the students have a lot of questions. So today was pretty busy, and uh, like all the other teachers, I have a lot of grading to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we get started, here are a few facts about Yvette, Yvette Walker. She is the creator and host of Positively Joy podcast. She writes Christian songs, lyrics, and is a biblical journal. Ms. Walker has worked in media for more, most of her career. Currently, she is an assistant dean at Gaylord College at the University of Oklahoma. She is the chair of the Education Committee of the Society of Professional Journalism and has been inducted into the Oklahoma Journalism Hall of Fame. And she has been a newspaper and online editor. Ms. Walker has degrees from University of Missouri and Northwestern University. Okay. Any question, any other accolades you want me to mention? Or that's pretty no, that's pretty solid. That is that's pretty solid. <laughs> okay, You're so fine. before before we begin, we actually like to pray here on the Truth in the Matters podcast, first and foremost. So that's what we'll do. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to fellowship with one another. Lord, you said anytime two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. So we thank you for our guests, the vet who has took who has taken the time aside to talk to us. The Truth Out of Matter is podcast appreciates the time she has set aside to provide us with her personal testimony. Lord, the beautiful thing about testimonies and the beautiful thing about talking to hear them is we get to, we get to hear a sneak peek into their faith walk with you, Lord. We learn about how they've, been a, how they've been a blessing to others and how you've been a blessing to them. Lord, I pray that after this conversation we have with one another that your vet story will be encouraging and motivating. Lord, open up our listeners' eyes to see, their ears to hear, their hearts to receive, and their minds to understand what it is that she's saying. Let all who are listening be blessed and leave with a different perspective on life in your word. Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, my first question I want to ask you, where did you find your love and passion for writing? Well, I think I just got that since I was a little girl. I remember very, very young, maybe five, six, um, creating like a like physically creating like a little newspaper uh, on paper, and I would show my parents. And I just always enjoyed writing. I enjoyed reading. I'm not an only child, but my older sister is seven years older than me. And so she had, you know, certainly her life when she was a teenager and I was a little girl, you know, who wants to hang around with someone that younger. So I, I actually spent a lot of time alone and I would read a lot. I would actually read the dictionary, which I know sounds kind of nerdish, but I did that and just always enjoyed that way of communication. So when it came time to figure out what I was going to do with my life and figure out where I was going to go to college. And I, and I realized, oh, you know, you can get paid and actually write, <laughs> you know, for a newspaper. Of course, it was newspapers back then. And um, so I just, I went to school for that and enjoyed that. Okay. So what would you say about the evolution of media from the time that you went to school until now? Like what has changed or 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. So much. So, you know, when I was in media, you know, beginning, it was pretty much just television and newspapers. And I, I enjoyed writing in newspapers more. I didn't try to go into TV. And so I, um, you know, you're, you're trying to communicate with your audience and it's always the day after, you know, you're trying to get the news, but in, in newspapers, again, without websites, this is before websites, newspapers, you couldn't really break news, like TV could break news. So you had to write your story in a different way. You had to try to explain the why behind the what happened, because everybody knew that, knew what happened already. And so the best, the best reporters had a gift. The best reporters could try to explain what's happening and what's going to happen and not just focus on what had happened. Because again, we were a day late. So um, I would say in the 90s, most newspapers began to realize that the internet is here and we need to be involved in that. And there were some papers that got on board sooner than others. Believe it or not, TV actually got on board later than newspapers. And so um, once we realized that uh, there was was so much that they could do with websites and understanding that audiences are different for newspapers than for websites, they expect different things. That, That was a real learning curve for a lot of media outlets. And so mm-hmm. we saw an evolution there. Um, and then even after, after you know, newspapers began to realize that we need websites, and then they started looking at blogs and doing blog writing and helping the reader understand a little bit of the behind the scenes, behind the story, mm-hmm. maybe information that was interesting, but that didn't fit into the story, mm-hmm. could be a blog post. And all these kinds of things that would come as as more evolution came. And then, of course, social media comes around in about 2006. And in the beginning, they didn't quite understand that that was going to be an important part of running a news operation. In the very beginning, like a lot of companies, they didn't want you on social media because they felt like you were just playing around. You weren't doing your job. But then quickly they began to realize, oh, no, this is like free publicity. This is good stuff. <laughs> So all journalists were encouraged to get accounts at, at this point. And in the beginning, it was very strange because the idea of writing the story before it appeared in the paper was very foreign to a lot of journalists, not, you know, print, print journalists. Uh-huh. They felt like they were scooping themselves. Does that make sense? So what do you mean by scooping? Yeah. So if you, you know, say you have the story yes. and you are going, you're writing it, it's going to appear in the paper. But mm-hmm. if you put it on the website first, before your story comes out in the paper, it felt like you were, uh, the word scooping means to get the story before somebody else does. Oh, okay. So when, so it felt like you were scooping yourself mm-hmm. when in fact it was, it was still you. It was just a very foreign thing for a lot of reporters to get used to. I see. But then again, over time, you know, all all reporters break news online now. Okay. Nice. Yeah, they do not wait till the next day. And mm-hmm. to be honest, TV, you know, TV stations never really felt like they had to rely on social media at first because they figured, well, they were on TV. But unless you're a cable news service 24/7, broadcast news is not 24/7. So they mm-hmm. too can use online to to break news and break stories as well but newspapers print media you know over time realize that's that's the way we have to do it Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know too much about it but i do know at least in the sports world there are some writers that have to write two stories for the one that the team that wins or the team that loses and that seems like a lot of prep and consideration of at least what the outcome would be so let me ask this as a as a black women in this industry, what are some of the things that you were faced with or some of the challenges? Because I know, again, some of my limited knowledge is I know one of the people that I tune in every now and then is the Stephen A. Smith. And I know he spoke about being a beat writer and him at least having an opportunity to now be on a platform that is his own, but having to work through the channels and go through newspapers and like you said, blogs and all those other things. So kind of speak to a little bit about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's a little bit different now just because I think that students today have 
opportunities to get a lot, a lot of experience even before they graduate. And they can go into bigger markets, I think, than we could before. But yeah, you you know, you did have to relatively start out small. Most reporters had a beat, just like Stephen A. Smith said. Uh, mine was covering police. A lot of a lot of young reporters got the police beat, police beat or perhaps city council or something like that. And so mine was the police beat. And, um, you know, I didn't I didn't think it was a bad thing or I didn't think I was being taken advantage of as a black woman. or anything. I mean, that's just the way you started. And so I did that. But over time, I was working. My first newspaper was in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana was poor high unemployment, and did have a bit of racial divisiveness Uh at the time. So yeah, I mean, as a Black woman working in Gary, Indiana, covering the police um, and other various stories, you know, it definitely could be a little bit of a challenge. Um, I'm trying to think, was that the first, that was the first place I was called the N-word out on the street Wow, in Indiana. So, you know, those things did happen, but I used that time as a way for me to develop my skills and figure out kind of what I wanted to do in this business. And, um, and I, I moved on after, oh, about two years to a bigger news outlet. And then I kind of moved around and tried to get more opportunities and, um, and then just got, got more important jobs in the newsroom over time. Uh Okay. So here's a personal question just for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there's probably someone in the audience that, you know, shares my struggle. So I would say I was deficient when it came to punctuation grammar. I believe at one point, once I got from middle school to high school, I could write really well, but my grammar punctuation sucked. As a person that's so used to writing and having to have knowledge and understanding of where these things go. How did you improve? Or would you say part of reading was how you got to know where a lot of those rules and regulations goes when it comes to writing and writing effectively? Oh, you you hit it right on the head. I tell writers to be better writers or to be better. Yeah. I mean, not so much reporters because reporting is a different skill, but writing, read, read, read. Uh Uh, we have a test at my college that people need to take before they can move on to certain classes. And it can be tough for people because um, high schools don't teach, not all high schools. uh, Some do, but a lot do not teach basic grammar anymore. And it is, it's really tough for a lot of people. But if you read and see how others are writing, if you understand, like, you know, really say, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be heavy reading. I mean, you know, your, your favorite mystery writer, whoever it is, you know, um, I, I read Stephen King. I loved Stephen King. He's a great writer. He's not just a horror writer. He's a great writer. He, he knows how to, to unravel a story and to, to paint a picture for you. And, you know, I can't say for sure you know, maybe his editor's doing all the hard work as far as grammar. <laughs> but I mean, you do you do begin to understand the more you read how words are strung together and, and understanding, you know, where punctuation goes. So if you're not getting it in school, or another good thing is to take a foreign language. If you're uh-huh. not getting grammar in English, you can get, I took French. I took French, a little bit of French in elementary school and French in high school. And there are grammar rules, just like there is in English. And that also helped me. So there are ways for you to to learn those rules. And, you know, can rules be broken? Absolutely, they can. They can. But you must know the the that foundation to be a good writer. Okay. Yeah, I got some work to do before I go to law school. I know that's a, it's a big thing when it comes to the punctuation and grammar. But yes, you, know, you, you got to start somewhere. That's a lot of work to do. Because I yeah. hear wrong <laughs> comma in the wrong area, you kind of ruin everything. So that's True. something I, I know I have to work on. So let me ask you, growing up in your household, how important was faith? Or was there an introduction to your faith? Oh, absolutely. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Um, Chicago has a large black population, and Mm -hmm. it is one of the largest Catholic populations. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of black Catholics in Chicago. And so I was raised Catholic. I went to a Catholic elementary school and a Catholic high school. 
Um, you know, one reason is because, yeah, that was our faith. But also uh, during the time I was growing up, the public school district in Chicago, the schools, and I'll be honest, just were not that great. I can't speak to how they are now. I'm just talking about when I was in school. So if you could go to a non-public school, if you could afford it, then that might be a good thing to do. But that was probably part of it, but it certainly was a part of our faith. And so um, we, I was in church a lot, <laughs> uh, both for the school part. And then, of course, you know, we went on Sundays. So I was definitely introduced to the Christian faith at an early age. I was baptized uh-huh. as a baby. Catholic. Okay. So what can you say that transpired then that you, that probably didn't, would you say that, you know, your, how you grew up and established your faith was pretty similar since then? Or did you, do you think it evolved? Do you think it made a shift at some point? Possibly did you backslid? Speak to a little bit about that. Sure. So there wasn't any backsliding per se, but Mm -hmm. When I was a young girl in in school and you know in the elementary school and we were in church a lot, um, church was a very it, it really felt like home. Church uh-huh. was a place I felt I could go and just be comfortable and just sit in sit in the pews and just kind of relax and just be with God and at that time, when I was young and I was doing this, I felt very close to him. Um, I felt like, you know, we could talk to each other. And I even thought about maybe becoming a nun for a short time. That didn't, uh-huh. that decided that wasn't going to be for me. But uh-huh. as I grew up, still believing and still going to church, uh, and that was a little difficult because, you know, the more you move around, and I moved around a lot for my job, you're always kind of trying to find a new church home. So that was um, difficult, but did it. But what I was finding was that even though I was still believing in him and going to church, I did feel I wasn't as close to him as I was when I was younger. And I think that was because I was, you know, going, I was getting my degree and then I was looking for internships and then I was looking for jobs and I was you know, really making more time for my career and less time for God. Okay. And so even though I was still going to church, I felt that there was something missing. And that feeling, that feeling happened for a long time. Okay. So part of going to church, did you separate reading God's word apart from attending church or was it one of the same? You did both at the same time. Oh, most definitely. And I am not blaming any faith or religion for uh-huh. me not, not doing this, but it just uh-huh. wasn't part of my of my normal faith activity to read the Bible at home. I see. And and I understand now that that was a uh-huh. big part of what I was missing. Uh-huh. But yeah, we would definitely read scripture in church and you know, that was pretty much it. I would pray at home, but I wasn't really delving into the word. And now I understand that's a big part of what was missing. Okay. So when did you say you made that shift where you realized the importance of doing that? So I would say it was around 2015 uh-huh. when I just, I was, I w- we were, we were visiting my, my uh-huh. then fiance, who's now my husband and I were visiting a church in Kansas city. I, I used to live in Kansas city, but I didn't go to this church when I was there. Somehow I didn't know about it, but it was a great church. I still go back there whenever I visit Kansas City. So we were at this church and um, the song came on and I just got very emotional. And the fact that I could not hear from God and hear his message for my life um, just really kind of welled up in me. And I've been feeling this way for a long time, but it just really welled up. And so I was very emotional. And then my, you know, my then fiance said, you know, you know, what's wrong? And I said, I can't hear God talk to me anymore. And then he said, don't you think you just did? And I said, hmm, maybe, maybe so. And at at that point, I started what I call seeking. Uh Um, I started trying to read the word more and to understand more about him and to try to figure out 
what was missing uh-huh. from my relationship with him because I believed in him and I believed I had a relationship in him, with him, but something was missing. And so um, I did that for a little while. And then I was very, very fortunate to hear Rita Springer, who is a singer songwriter and now a podcaster. I heard her at a couple of times at my church. Her message just really spoke to me and I was, I just had to find out everything about her. I mean, I had a little bit of a girl crush. I needed to find out everything about her. And she had a book and I read her book. And then I realized that she had a retreat and I went on the retreat and I got accepted to the retreat and I kept trying to talk her out of it. I'm like, you know, I don't really know if I'm worthy, you know, to come on this retreat with you. And she was like, Yvette, God told me you should be here. So just come. So it was at the retreat that definitely I had a shift. Definitely there was a a breakthrough. There was an exercise we were doing where we were trying to really hear the voice of God and try to hear, understand a message from him. And he revealed himself to me during this, during this exercise. And it was just, it was, it was just, it was amazing. It was just so amazing. And um, so, you know, at that point, that was in 2019. And when I got home from that, from that retreat, everything changed. I started, I started writing, I started writing song lyrics because I'm not musical, but again, I like to write. So I started writing song lyrics, which I have actually turned into songs with other songwriters. Uh I started writing um, what has come, what has become devotional entries. Um, I just started writing essays. I started just doing lots of things that I had not done before. And I had, I've never written a song before and I'd never, you know, written, done a lot of these kinds of things. And it just, it just started flowing out of me and it's, it's not me. I mean, it was not me. And so after that, the very next year was the pandemic. Uh And for those of us who were fortunate enough to be able to work from home, I said, you know, I'd always wanted to start a podcast, but there was always something that was, you know, there was always something that was too complicated or I got too busy. Something always was in the way for me to do this podcast. But now was time, right? I was going to do the podcast. And so I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and do this podcast. And it's going to be on what I called the politics of hair and beauty. The inter- wow. and the intersection of all of that. Because this was prior to the Crown Act. This was still when there were a lot of discussions about natural hair and, and the Black community going on. And so I was going to do this, getting all set. And then the Lord told me no. Huh. The Lord said, no, you are going to do a podcast, but it's going to be on joy. Wow. And I said, okay, because, you know, that's what you do. You say, yes, Lord. What, what, what is that? What do you, what am I supposed to do on joy? I had, I had no idea. Around the same time, I began to Bible journal. It's a practice where you create artwork in your Bible. And for anyone out there who thinks that that's just scandalous, no, they have separate Bibles for you to do this. So you have your study Bible, but then you have a journal, a journaling Bible. And, um, I began to spend more time in the word and, and kind of reintroduce myself um, to, to the books of the Bible. I had not spent time in the Bible for a long time, even though I was hearing it every Sunday. Remember Mm -hmm. still going to church. So, um, all this started coming out at the same time. And I created the podcast. Um, the name of it positively joy was given to me by the father. And I will tell you why Mm -hmm. you might be able to guess. We just talked about grammar, right? Yeah. Positively joy is grammatically incorrect. Yeah. I know this. (laughs) I I know this. So why would I name it positively joy? Mm -hmm. It could be positively joyful or positively joyous, but that's not what he said. So I named it positively joy. And it's funny because even though it's still, I kind of laugh at it, even though to me, I know that that's grammatically incorrect. Mm -hmm. Um, People, people like the name. So mm-hmm. I'm like, the Lord knows more than I do. <laughs> okay. So before we dive into more, some media questions, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and where we can find you? Absolutely. So you can listen to Positively Joy wherever you listen to podcasts or at PositivelyJoy.com. 
Um, it's a weekly podcast, mostly interview. There are there are some um, episodes where it's it's just me speaking and teaching, but I, I'm a journalist, so I love to interview people. So it's mostly an interview show. And we talk about, we talk about a lot of different types of things with a lot of different people, but we bring it back to understanding the joy of the father. And in the season that we're in now, season four, we are talking about taking that joy of the Lord with you every day, um, taking God with you and being open to his prompting every day, not just when you go to church. Wow. Sounds good. Well, if you're mm-hmm. interested in wanting to know what that is, you should check it out. Okay. So back to once you established the podcast and you established that you needed more God in your life in terms of getting to know him more by reading your word. How are you, how are you now able to implement some of that, at least into your work environment or your into work every day? Yeah. So I'm, so a couple of different ways. Um, I, tr- I definitely try to read the Bible. If, if not pick up the physical Bible, read devotions or read the Bible online, either uh, Bible.com or Bible gateway, because kind of depends on what I'm able to do. Um, but I have a Facebook group. Uh, it is the positively joy community where we you know, do life together. And I, and I'm, I try to make it an encouraging place. So, you know, I post a lot of scripture on there. We try to, uh, one day I woke up and again, I really do try to be led, try to open myself up to his promptings. I happened to wake up early, woke up at five o'clock, which is early for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and read the Bible what do you have for me, Lord? So I just kind of, it was a, it was a paper Bible. So I just kind of, you know, spread the pages open and it fell to numbers. Mm-hmm. And I said, Lord, numbers is one of those books that, you know, it's kind of hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I can't say it's my favorite book, but okay, let's jump in there. So we did, we did 11 day study um, of the book of numbers in the positively joy community based on um, a series on Bible.com uh, from a group called Spoken Gospel. Okay. So we read that every day. So it just kind of depends. I really lean lean on him. Lean what you know, like what do you want me to do? Um, because here's the thing, and I tell people I'm no Bible scholar, and I'm no expert. Um, I I know a lot about media, but I I did not go to school for religion. Uh-huh. And so I lean on him to to let me know what he wants people to know. And also he is re- revealing to me the topic of this show, of, of my show. Remember, I started it in May of 2020 and here we are in December of 22. And over those years, he has revealed to me what he wants people to know about joy. Uh-huh. And that has been you know, that has been a little bit of time coming. So he's still revealing stuff to me really all the time. Uh So speaking about joy, what can you say he has revealed to you about what God, what he wanted you to know about joy within your own life? Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Well, what he wants people to know is the true nature of joy. And Uh that is, it's not how you feel. Uh So joy is not a feeling, it's faith. So you can be happy or unhappy, but still find joy in the father because you know, he is with you and he his that's his promise to us. He did not promise us that we would never be unhappy. That's not what he promised us, but he promised us that he would be with us and he would be faithful to us. And so that, that piece of it is where we find the true joy. And it's not in things or people. It's in him. And there are a lot of people out there who are chasing, chasing joy, but they're looking in the wrong places. So they're chasing like people, they're chasing perhaps romances or they're chasing alcohol or substances or, or they're chasing food. I mean, I've had an issue with food in my life, you know, they're chasing things and they really only need to be chasing one thing and it's God. And it's kind of funny. I call it Jesus's DIY, although it's really uh-huh. not DIY because we don't do anything. It's him. 
but mm-hmm. it's in John 15. And the fact mm-hmm. that it's in John 15, I love because when you open John 15, you open with the vine and the branches. And that is mm-hmm. a story that most people are familiar with. Yeah. But if you read down a little bit, just underneath mm-hmm. that, he basically says this. And do you mind if I, if I quote? Yeah, absolutely. All right. This is from John 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The only joy that will fill us and make us complete is the joy of the Lord. And we will get that by abiding in his love and keeping his commands. Uh Yeah. To to piggyback on something you said, there's a there's a verse in Proverbs twelve eleven that says a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about some of the things that we pursue, we want for this desire for, you know, joy. We kind of get mixed up that these fantasies that we want they make no sense because that's exactly what they are. They're fantasies, which means the reality of it actually coming to pass is very rare, if any. So sometimes we get in a habit of chasing after some of these things that are not attainable and we get mm-hmm. caught up in those things. So it's a good point by you and, and what you're saying, especially with what your podcast is based around. So let me ask right. you this question in terms of, you know, where you are in life, what are some of the things that bring you joy and what you have established? Well, I mean, I, I find joy in this life that he's given me. I find joy in the position that he's put me in. The podcast has, has been around for, you know, almost two years now. Um, people are, people are listening. And again, I did none of this. He's, he's doing it all. Um, so that, that gives me joy to know that people all over the world are listening to it. Um, it gives me joy to be able to use the words that he's given me. And remember, I've been a communicator and a writer my whole life, but this is the first time that I'm using those gifts in his glory. That gives me a lot of joy, a lot of joy, because I've been using the gifts that he's given me for years in my job, but this really fills me with joy. And so that Mm -hmm. certainly is too. Um, and, um, I mean, obviously just the daily life that he allows us to have, Uh um, and my health and my family, of course, those Uh are all, you know, joyful things because we receive them from him. Uh And you also mentioned something that I caught earlier about how your husband has been a blessing to you as well. Can you speak to how much he's been a blessing? I know you mentioned something about when you both were you know, at the time, I think you said he was your fiance at the time you were in Kansas. So mm-hmm. how has he been a blessing to you and what has he brought to you? He's been such a blessing. He's very insightful, although he is um, very modest. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, he again, that that day when I was crying and I just felt like God, you know, because a part of the thing about thinking that God wasn't speaking to me was feel, was me feeling like I was not worthy. Uh-huh. And so, you know, that just made me upset. And he was like, well, don't you think he just spoke to you? Oh, okay. I need to open myself. Right. I need uh-huh. to open my heart. But, um, he's, he taught me how to pray out loud because uh-huh. coming from a Catholic background, I mean, I'm very used to praying, but not praying out loud. That was new. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we, his church that we go to now is a non-denominational church. And then I have a church that I also go to that's in a town where I used to live. So I don't go there every Sunday. That's Episcopalian and which Uh is, which is closer to Catholic. Um, but just the old way, I was very uncomfortable praying out loud. I felt like I wasn't, I don't know, being very, um, I I wasn't getting the words right. And it's Uh important to get the words right when you're speaking to Uh God. Right. Well, of course, no, that's not true. He doesn't care. He doesn't care whether or not you feel like you are the greatest speaker in the world. But my husband encouraged me in that and made me more comfortable praying out loud. So wow. that's another mm-hmm. blessing. 
Well, that's good for your partner to encourage you and motivate you and help evolve your relationship mm-hmm. with God in a way where it makes you comfortable and you don't feel ashamed, but he embraced you where you were and now he's elevated you. And I believe that's what partners are for, right? It's supposed to elevate you, make you feel much more worth than, and then make you or have you come to a place in life where not only do you feel valued, not just from him, but that you feel valued overall and you're ready to attack each day with a fresh new start. So, so true. I, that. Yeah. I do tease him sometimes about being the spiritual head of the household. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You, this, the conversation, the conversation has come around to this because we, me and my brother just did an episode yesterday and we titled it, what has God called you to do? And, we took a look at Luke chapter four, and this is very similar in Matthew chapter four, at least from verse one to about verse 12. But later on in that chapter, there's two ends of the story. In Matthew, you kind of get this story where Jesus appears and then he's calling Peter, he's calling James and the, the disciples to come follow him. But there's no particular explanation as to why. But when you go to Luke, I believe it continues, I think, in Luke 6. You kind of get the explanation of what it was. And once Jesus was able to get Peter to let down his net through obedience, they were able to catch fish because at the time they were toiling, but they weren't getting any fish. And immediately mm-hmm. what Peter does in or Simon, he speaks about how he feels unfit. He feels unworthy. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. I'm going to show you how to be fisher of men. So the whole premise was sometimes we get in a state that either the mistakes or the choices we've made in the past can hinder us from what God has called us to do. But in spite of all of that, we spoke about Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, that he saw you in your mother's womb before you ever existed. So he knew all these things will happen, but through obedience and trust and reliance on him, God not only is going to take you through these tests and trials and tribulations, But when you come out of it, you're going to be better than what you thought you would be. And God can use those very challenges that you're faced with to help elevate you and actually encourage other people around you that are struggling and going through similar things. So it's amazing how when you go back to the scriptures and you see that there are a lot of characters in the Bible that felt these ways. And God, in some way and fashion, has revealed that it's nothing to be ashamed of. And that there's plenty to be, and there's a lot of things to be objective about and hopeful about. So I'm glad that that has happened for you. So back to the media thing. What are some of the challenges that you face in working in that environment that you would say that you could speak to? Oh, yeah, I definitely can speak to that. In fact, I even made some career shifts mm-hmm. because... Um, there were times there were times when it was difficult and i felt like and i think this is this is the continuation and evolution of my own faith walk even but i think there were times when i felt like i was becoming desensitized to violence and to things like this when i was still a young reporter so my first job working for you know um working for a paper and covering police it was in a very violent city um that that city, although it was a small town, it was the murder capital per capita, which means of of towns of its size, it was the ones with the most murder. And there was a serial killer um, in that town, in the in the general area that was preying on women. And I covered a couple of those murders. And uh, one girl killed was a very young girl. And I can't really explain it, but for some reason, I always thought she'd be found and she'd be okay. She was missing. I felt I felt like it was going to be okay. Uh-huh. And then when they found her body, it's hard to explain, but it touched me in a way that made me realize that I had become desensitized. Uh-huh. And I didn't think that that was right. Uh-huh. Um, I don't want to be desensitized to, I mean, I I think it's important to cover violence, crimes, abuse. It's important to cover those stories and shine a light into that darkness. Uh But at the same time, 
if you just become numb to it and desensitize, that's that's not right for your soul. And mm-hmm. I think at that time, again, I was still a young reporter. I hadn't realized how to fully rely on the Lord, like even in even in that even in that job. I understand now, now, mm-hmm. if I were to do it again, I would treat that differently. I would rely on the Lord in a way that I did not when I was when I was that. But of course, mm-hmm. you know, we grow up and we're wiser. So mm-hmm. um so I left that job. When I when I mm-hmm. realized that, the very last story I covered was a terrible story about three teenage girls killing a Bible school teacher. Wow. And I I still remember that very, very mm-hmm. well. But I left that job and I went on to another newsroom where I was editing. I had kind of moved out of writing into editing and stayed into editing for really the the rest of my career. I would do some writing on the side, but I mostly edited and then moved into management and worked with mm-hmm. other reporters to kind of help their stories, um, you know, become the best that they could be. Mm-hmm. So how were you able to maneuver through these tough stories and not bring some of it home or sit on your conscience? How did you fight some of that? Well, I mean, you're right. There was a there was a story uh, when I was working in Kansas City. A young girl was missing, uh-huh. and they, I mean, it's a terrible thing. And I'll just uh-huh. you know just some warning now for anyone. Um, but they found her body, but not her head. Wow. And um, because they found her body, they they could not. Um, they we they didn't know who she was um but because identify you know, her, right? they couldn't identify he you know she, mm-hmm. fingerprints she, there's no fingerprints yeah. cuz she's wasn't in the system she was a little girl um but anyway they did find the head at one time and i remember the night they found the head cuz i was working on the news desk and it was late and they found that head mm-hmm. and we wrote that story and somehow it just, I just felt, I felt so good because they could identify her. And I remember walking out of the newsroom, just feeling elated. I think because it was a rush, you know, right. The, doing the story and, and working on the story, of course. But I think also is because now they could finally identify this young lady. So what they did was they did, um, they they looked at the head and they had people who were able to create a clay sculpture from mm-hmm. what she would look like today and they and they ended up finding out who she was that that gave a lot of different different emotions i mean it was really really sad but it you know but it, we were happy that i mean it was such a blessing to the family ultimately mm-hmm. that they could create this clay model and try to find the family yeah. So if there's any Yeah, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of tough tough stories. Yeah. So if there's any young journalists out there that is listening, what advice if you had three or four things, what advice would you give them? And they'll well, have to pursuing it. Yeah. Sure sure. Well, I you know, I would certainly say I like to say check check your your um your Christian temperature because uh-huh. I think in the in the work that we do, we can become numb. We can become desensitized and we need to make sure we wake ourselves up if we're falling into that. Um, so obviously Jesus is the way. So I, I would encourage you to read the Bible and get back into the church if you're not in church. But more than that, understand that you can rely on him in that daily pursuit, mm-hmm. in that daily work. When things are getting too tough, I mean, it's a little different today uh, when I, I hate to say back when I was, you know, young, but churches were open. They were open, like the doors were open all the time. Uh-huh. And when I was, you know, as I got older and realized I wanted to to let him help me in my daily life, I would just take a break and go to a church and just sit in a church. I mean, like uh-huh. literally. Some churches are not open like that now just because of crime and all of that. So I would encourage if you can't get to a church to just open up your smartphone and just read his word uh-huh. and try to, I mean, like you said, we can find a lot of scripture with direct application to what we are living today. Uh-huh. So I can't really say, 
I mean, certainly, certainly there are writers. I mean, there, there were writers of the gospel, right? Uh-huh. You know, just, you know, maybe just imagine what, what they had to go through when they were, when they were chronicling these things, uh-huh. that might be something to think. But I, I just think that there's a way to take a deep breath when uh-huh. you are, when you are going through this and understand that he's there with you. Uh-huh. And also understand that you may be covering traumatic situations. That doesn't mean that the trauma is not moving on to you. Uh-huh. So you need to be aware of that. Uh-huh. So would you say during the times that when I happened, did you, I know right now we're in an era where people were seeking, you know, they're, they're, they're seeking some, some sort of, I would say, I'm trying to know what they, they're seeking counseling, right? They're, they're looking mm-hmm. for ways to escape where they can, they can talk to somebody during these times. Do you think that that's, that was a big thing then, or is it, was it lacking then? And it's more, it's more prevalent now. It's more prevalent now. It was definitely lacking then. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, so much so that an organization was founded. It's called the DART Center for Journalists. Wow. And they actually founded an organization because they began to understand that journalists are getting traumatized as they are doing these stories. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was not that prevalent then. It's more prevalent now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a show that I'm watching. It's it's called All-American. And there's a young lady in the show who's a journalist. Mm -hmm. And I remember her boyfriend and her brother were actually attached to the university that they all attend. But the biggest thing is she wanted to do a story that would impact them directly. But what they did was they were able to take her name out of it and put a false name in it. Do they still do that? Or is that something that's just, can you speak to that? Yeah. Sure. So the the idea of deception and transparency is an important one. And I, I, I literally just talked about it with my students uh, mm-hmm. during their review, their finals tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the idea that sometimes there may be an ethical need to do a story that might have some deception in it. Like let's, for example, let's say a reporter decides to go undercover. Okay. Um, now you don't see that happening very much anymore uh-huh. because journalists are already in many cases, not trusted. You know, we've uh-huh. just come out of an administration um, two years ago that basically called journalists, the enemy of the people. That's what president Trump said. So we already are in a time when there are people who do not trust journalists. So the idea of deceiving is not something that you see done a lot anymore. There were times there were undercover investigations like back in the 80s and 90s, but you don't see that that much anymore. And I believe that's because journalism has really relied on transparency, wanting to make Uh sure that people know what we're doing, that we're on the up and up, that we're doing it for the right reasons that we ourselves have a code of ethics that is seeking the truth, minimize harm, be accountable and avoid conflict of interest. And so we avoid that deception these days. Is it possible that there could be a story that is important enough that you can make an ethical case to deceive? Yes. I would say a story could exist and, but there'd be a lot of people who would probably talk about this before they allowed people to do it. As far as anonymous sources, anonymous sources are still used. They are, they are given, you know, a reporter just doesn't do it by himself. They have to get permission from the editor um, of their stories, but to protect some sources who could get into physical trouble or just trouble like losing a job or something like that, which is still very important. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in the idea of minimizing harm, we might make a, a source anonymous. Yes, that is still done. Okay. So it, would you say it's any story that any writer puts out is important that their name is attached to it? Like what is the, what is the true, the trueness behind having a story that a writer has in their name be attached to it? Like what are some of the struggles or some of the things that writers face when they 
are pressed to have to do that and then probably give an account to how someone may dislike or not like what's written about them. Yeah. I mean, I would say that more often than not, your name is attached to the story. Um, (laughs) The only time that I've seen. So there are a couple of times when you might see something without what we call a byline attached. Uh Um, If it is what we call an editorial, which is, which is a story written by kind of a group of people, like an editorial Uh department. It is, it is written, it is written by one person, but it's the consensus of the editorial writers. Right. So that might be something that you see, Uh but a news story or something like that. The only time I've ever seen anyone take their name off a paper, off a story is if for some reason they disagreed with the editing process and the, and the editor made a change to the story and the reporter said, take my name off of it. Cause that's not what, that's not my story. Gotcha. Now in other parts of the world, there may be some instances of stories running without bylines to protect the reporter. But even then we have such brave reporters around the world. Um, many, they run with their names and certainly they face the kind of danger that we do not face in America. Uh-huh. So I, I really don't see many people taking their names off stories. Gotcha. Could you name any that you think of that comes at the top of your head? Maybe. I really can't name a name. It. You mean that where where a like story, any, yeah, a reporter took a story, you, like any any stories that you that you and your students have studied or looked into, any famous writers that, for the sake of the truth, were either killed or in prison or any of that. Do you have any examples of? Oh, of oh, yes. yeah. So no, there there are, there definitely are reporters who have been killed in the line of work. Um, but the, but the one that I, the biggest one that I remember, um, and, and there's been a movie made about it is Daniel Pearl, Uh who was, um, who was kidnapped and ultimately beheaded on camera. Wow. Uh, and that was in, that was in the, either the late nineties, early two thousands. Wow. Um, there was a time when that was happening more, more than not. Um, but uh, there have been uh, people in Mexico and in Latin America who have mm-hmm. written about the drug cartels who have been killed. Um, there are some journalism organizations, um, the Center for the Protection of Journalists and the International Press Institute, that both keep a list of journalists who've lost their lives while working on a story and it's been attributed to the work that they did, that they lost their lives. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how'd you get into the, the hall of fame? What what did you do? Well, I gotta <laughs> tell you, I was really surprised. So this is the Oklahoma <laughs> journalism hall of fame. Mm-hmm. I had, I can tell you, I had been to that award ceremony dozens of times because a lot of my friends mm-hmm. are in it. And I just, I remember sitting there one time going, this is, this is really so nice. I'll never be in here because I'm not from Oklahoma. That's really what I thought. Uh And when I got the phone call saying that I was in it, I was shocked. I mean, literally shocked because I thought, I'm like, I'm not from Oklahoma. And they said, doesn't matter. You still made an impact on Oklahoma journalism. And I was just so incredibly honored. So, Uh I mean, just for, just for my work. I mean, I've been, I've worked in Oklahoma since 2006. I have been, um, an editor, um, for you know, working with people's stories, uh, both in the features department and in the news department, and um, it's been it's been great working with them. In fact, you know, and some of the stories have been front page stories, and some have not. Uh, in my office, I actually have the last front page story that I worked on. Uh, it was a police officer who was uh, ass- assaulting women, and um, one woman spoke out. Bless her heart. And um, they found him and put him in jail. Wow. And that was, that's the last big story. It's, it's on my wall in my office. Um, he got a lot of years. Wow. Made a change. Yeah. Okay. So let's shift real quick back to uh, at least some faith-based questions. 
Mm-hmm. Are there any songs that you love, that you think of, that you listen to often, that you could recommend that anyone who's listening is searching for songs to uplift them or inspire them or motivate them? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I definitely would tell you to check out Rita Springer. And I mentioned to you before that she is a singer-songwriter. And to be honest, you probably know her songs, but other other people have sung them. Um, in fact, um, and I'm and I need to I need to check some out. The last really big um, so one of her songs was sung by uh, Francesca Battistelli, and I'm I'm blanking on the titles right now. Um, mm-hmm. But look up Rita Springer; she's great. Um, Fresh Fire. Uh, that was a song that the first time I spoke at a women's breakfast. They played that song before and it just, it just, oh my goodness, it inspired me. Um, so Fresh Fire, I would say. Um, I love Maverick City music. I mean, just anything they do. But Yeah, I was but, at a concert where it was Gyra, Gyra. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, me too. Yes, amazing. yes. Oh, you went? I saw, okay. the, I saw that tour. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I went with a friend. It was beautiful. Yes, yes. Yeah. I love Mandisa. I love Toby Mac. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, there's just, there's a lot of wonderful music out there. Um, mm. And I think, you, I, yeah, I think you can really get inspired. A lot of people listen to music on YouTube just because mm-hmm. there's so many music videos there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot, you can find a lot of really great, just look up Christian music. It'll just come right up. Mm-hmm. So last question, is there any specific verse or book in the Bible that you enjoy reading that you want to share with my audience? Well, I just read it to you, um, mm-hmm. and that's our that's the signature scripture okay. um, from from John. Yes. But I mean, you know, you can't you can't not mention, you know, the fruits of the spirit because yes. joy is the, mm-hmm. one of the fruits of the spirit, and it's the second one. I think is love is first, and then joy. Yes. Um, and just understanding that that the spirit, I mean, just you know, he's given us the spirit to help us and inspire us and encourage us. And those fruits that he gives us, love, joy, peace, patience, all of them. Kindness, it's, it's generosity. Just, yes. Book of yeah, Galatians. I know what you're talking about. Five. I yes. It's five. just, yes. it's, it's just, huh. it's just awesome. And so mm-hmm. um, that's, that's something that I love as well. Okay. So before we close out in prayer, are you, are you interested in praying us out? Sure. Can I just tell you one more thing? Yeah, I was going to ask you, where can we find you again? And are there any books or anything someone can pick up or read? Or Yeah, and I do want to mention this because remember when I told you that when mm-hmm. I came back from the conference, I just stuff just started pouring out of me. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they turned into a book. So I have two books set out now. The first one is a devotional called Whispering in His Ear and mm-hmm. talks about my time when I was felt like I could not talk to him and I could not hear from him and um, going through that process. And a lot of what I wrote, those, those kind of life lessons became this devotional. Um, so it's called whispering in his ear. Um, I'll show you this. Uh, okay. It is a combination of all of that plus exercises and prayers that you can do. And there's room for journaling. And then the second mm-hmm. book that is a companion study guide it's God's voice and how to listen. And it takes off from whispering in his ear. They're both available on Amazon, but uh, God's voice and how to listen is bigger. It's kind of more appropriate for journaling. It's eight and a half by 11 large print. And so it's a little bit more room for people to dig a little bit more into, into that scripture, um, mm-hmm. but also on the same topic. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're available at, at Amazon, or you can learn about uh, more about them at my website, positivelyjoy.com. And where can they find your podcast again for those who probably didn't catch it the first time? Yeah, so the podcast is Positively Joy, and it's anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's, you know, it's on, it's everywhere. But you can also listen to it at my website, positivelyjoy.com. Mm-hmm. And for those who are interested in joining your Facebook group, what's the name of that? Yeah, it's the Positively Joy community. I'm actually really excited about something. So, you know, everyone talks about, you know, we have a love-hate relationship with social media. But Facebook just just launched this chat feature in the groups. Now, I had 
prayer Thursday where I would ask people, you know, how can we pray for you? Now we have a chat that's 24 seven. And if you need prayer, just, you know, join, join the group and then join the chat and you can just let us know when you need prayer and you'll be prayed for. It's been amazing having you on. So would you do the honors of praying us out, please? Yes, I'd be happy to. And you can thank my husband for this because I I couldn't have done this before. All right. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for this day and for this, this special time together. Lord, I thank you so much for technology and the ability to be able to speak to people we'll never know and never see, but be able to speak your word to them and your encouragement and and ask your spirit to come over on all the listeners today. Lord, I I, I ask you to, to encourage and to keep... Um, the Truth of the Matter is podcast going. They're doing such great work and they're certainly inspired by you, Lord. I ask you to continue to help me in my work and tell me whatever you want me to do. Lord, and I ask you for anyone who's listened tonight um, who is either interested in going into media reporting or anything like that to to bring you with them and always put you first, Lord, because you will be able to help them in the important work that they ultimately will do. Lord, I thank you for all the blessings that you give us, all the blessings and all the joy that only you can give us. And I ask you all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Good night, everyone. Good night,